November 16th, a rookie trucker named Varinder Singh was arrested at the U.S.-Canada border in Detroit. It happened after Customs and Border Protection officers found $2.8 million worth of marijuana in the trailer he was pulling. He was supposed to be hauling a load of pork to Texas. Singh denied knowing about the loads from the beginning, but investigators didn't buy his story. But a month later, federal prosecutors dropped the charges, and Singh was released. His story checked out. From Freight Waves, this is Long Haul Crime Log, a podcast about the dark side of freight. I'm Nate Tabak in Toronto, Canada. I'm Noy Mahoney in San Antonio, Texas. And I'm Clarissa Hawes in Kansas City, Missouri. Today on the show, more on the trucker and how his lawyer secured his freedom. But first, Noy, there has been no shortage of drug smuggling uh, action over in your neck of the woods. You just had, I, I think, a record meth bust this past week. The drug bust actually happened back in October, but the Drug Enforcement Agency released the news last week. And the reason they waited so long to release the news was because this investigation is still ongoing. They're still arresting people. But the drug bust happened in Denton County, Texas, which is just south of Dallas. It's basically a a suburb of Dallas. And somehow law enforcement, they must have got a tip, but they stopped a refrigerator truck, a reefer truck that was traveling northbound on Interstate 35 and found almost 2,000 pounds of meth, about $45 million worth. These these The meth was hidden in a secret compartment underneath the truck, and the meth was packed in these like square bricks, uh, almost 663 packages of these square bricks of meth were found in a secret compartment underneath the truck. Uh, and there was nothing on the truck. I mean, it wasn't, it, they, it was a, an empty truck. And um, the DEA agent in charge, his name was, his name is Eduardo Chavez. He's the special agent in charge for the DEA in Dallas. He said, you know, it's a staggering amount to be seized at one time. These, these bricks of meth, they were like sausage links underneath the trucks is what he, is what he's quoted as saying. Where'd the truck come from? Was there a, like a carrier associated with it? Like, what is where do things stand there? The details about the truck specifically were scarce, but this DEA agent, Eduardo Chavez, uh, he said during the course of their investigation, they believe the truck was smuggled across the Texas-Mexico border, and somehow they they must have information, but they believe. The drugs, the meth came from a gang, a cartel called the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, which is a criminal gang based in Jalisco, Mexico, the state of Jalisco, which is a a western state. It's a state along the Pacific coast. And this gang, the Jalisco New Generation Cartel, is very dangerous, very violent gang. Their, Their leader, I believe he's number one, he's the FBI's most wanted person or something like that, or the DEA's most wanted, and he's number one on the list right now. And so did you say that the actual truck itself, they believe, had been smuggled? According to them, it came across the border, um, and details are very scarce. Like I said, they didn't release a lot of information because this investigation, according to Chavez, this investigation is still ongoing, the names of those arrested. So apparently there must there might have been one more than one person in that truck, but those names are still sealed. They haven't released those names either. So how many have been arrested so far? They just said the names of those arrested remain sealed. So they, it says it's plural. So I assume there's more than one. 
I had questions about the secret compartment, you know, that too, and what kind of trailer. So it was in a refrigerated trailer that had been modified. There's pictures of the truck. Uh, I wrote a story that was published Saturday and I posted some of the pictures the DEA uh, released of the meth and of the truck. And uh, it's an older, pretty worn out looking refrigerated truck. Uh, you know, it's not a new brand new truck. So it's pretty worn, worn out looking truck, but someone had to have tipped them off. There's no way, you know, they stopped this truck while it was traveling already on the road and they knew exactly where to look. The DEA did. So I got to believe someone tipped them off or, because there's no way you could just find this randomly in my mind. It's, I mean, it's interesting because it's sort of, it's, I mean, I know with these cases, there's so much that is kept from the public, but it almost sounds like the, I mean, the, the implication may be that the, that the truck itself may have gotten, may have gotten across the border um, without, by bypassing sort of a normal border checkpoint. Is that, I mean, is that, does that seem like a possibility here? It does. Uh, because if you see that the, the DEA released several pictures and they're pretty extraordinary, just the amount of mess, 663 packages. And the DEA also released a video showing the secret compartment underneath the refrigerated truck and how it was hidden. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty ingenious actually. Uh, and, you know, I guess if this truck indeed did get across the border, it means it, 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 you know, the drug sniffing dogs weren't able to sniff this out. Um, you know, the x-ray machines weren't able to see this. So it's a, it's a pretty sophisticated operation. The U S Mexico border does not by far have a monopoly on drug busts. There is a ton of drugs that move back and forth between the U S and Canada. Uh, Canada is, you know, where marijuana for recreational purposes is legal. And so there is a lot of uh, marijuana that flows from Canada to the, to the U S and just to be, to be, to be fair, it is illegal to uh, export marijuana from Canada, but you have a lot of marijuana up here. And so as a result, you have a lot of drug busts uh, involving tractor trailers, uh, you know, caught with the varying amounts of, of weed. And I th- probably in the past year or so, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection have, you know, in the hundreds of, of millions of dollars at this point, Um and so this case I was talking about at the beginning, um, a rookie trucker named Verinder Singh, he's really, he was one of a, um, a large, uh, you know, uh, what seems to be a growing number of these truckers who end up getting caught up in this, in this drug trade of marijuana um, from Canada uh, into the U.S. So Verinder Singh, this was his first load that he was hauling and he was taking it to, he was hauling a load of pork and taking it to Texas, Laredo, Texas, is that correct? It was not his very first load, but he, he had very recently become a, a truck driver, according to his lawyer. And this is really just a, um, you know, maybe for a month he had been doing, you know, he was very, very new to this. This is actually a second job for him, according to his, his lawyer. He, he was doing this to make extra money on top of his existing job working at an Amazon warehouse. So, Nate, what do we know about this run? He's working for a basically a mom and pop trucking company in the Toronto area, uh, a company called Safeway. And that they had uh, that, according to um, his attorney, uh, you know, this this had been a uh, 
a brokered load that he had picked, you know, picked up. Um, and so he picked it up at, from a, uh, a facility in this load of pork products going from Brampton, Ontario uh, to Texas. And then he made his way to the Detroit area and made a, a couple stops uh, along the way to get fuel. Uh, apparently, he also needed to get some additional customs clearance information. Um, you know, it's a bit, it took him maybe a bit longer than I think that a, that a driver might take, but not nothing, nothing outlandish, somewhere like four and a half, five hours gets to the border. And then he's referred to a secondary inspection where in turn, they see some irregularities, uh, in this, namely that it's not consistent with, uh, just having uh, pork products. And so eventually they've done a, you know, uh, they scan it and then they do a visual inspection and find that while there is some pork in there, there is in fact uh, uh, a lot of marijuana in there as well. And so, did the Customs and Border P- Patrol? Did they cut the seal? I mean, did they break the seal and enter the trailer? Do they have permission to do that? You know, in in like in a secondary inspection. They did. So this was a sealed trailer, and that that is an important detail of this case, and and one of those those details that that, that can make the very big difference between, um, say, the whether the you know a, a driver kind of gets becomes a point of of focus and investigation. If the if there's an issue with the sealer, then it raises a question of what happened while the driver was in custody of this load. In this case, it was a sealed trailer. However, one of the inconsistencies that emerged, though, is that there was a difference between the sort of the you know seals ha- trailer trailer seals have uh, essentially serial numbers to kind of note that they're not just you know they're there to kind of ensure that there's a chain of uh, custody with the load. And so, in this case, there was a inconsistency between the one that was found on there. Um, and his uh, customs documentation. So he wasn't one that had um, unsealed the trailer at some point and at, and resealed it. Well, that that was one of the things that that became, I think, sort of a point of focus. But I will just say that from the beginning, that we know from court documents that um, that Mr. Singh, you know, was uh, waived his Miranda rights and cooperated with investigators. And from the beginning, he said, you know, I, uh, you know, that he picked up his, he didn't do nothing about the drugs. He described his journey, you know, with a, a fair amount of detail. He said that he had checked the, you know, had in fact checked to verify the seal, but there was this discrepancy here. And one of the things that kind of emerged later in this, and I think it was brought up by his lawyer, um, when I spoke to him, uh, you know, I, I had been I had been following this case, I think, you know, really since it started. And one of the things he had said to me is, you know, I think my, you know, it, he, he was maybe guilty of a rookie mistake where he just wasn't checking very closely. But so from the beginning, there was a, there was this this discrepancy, however, and which would sort of create the suspicion, OK, did he mess with the seal here? Um, but he maintained the entire time that he knew nothing of this. But. Uh, he was, you know, he was charged with uh, two two counts of pretty serious uh, federal drug charges that can land you a lot of time in prison. You don't want to have these, and so he was then assigned a um, 
a private attorney uh, paid for by U.S. taxpayers through sort of the public defender system, whose name is uh, Henry Sharg. Uh, you know, as I, as I, you know, when I, when I got appointed on this case to represent Mr. Singh and, you know, talk to the different players, there was, you know, and I'm talking about talking to Mr. Singh, talking to his wife, talking to the, uh, uh, the owners of the trucking company, uh, and, and the, you know, the other evidence I was able to see, everything about the case, there was, a, there was a basic consistency. How long was Mr. Singh in custody? So, so he was in custody for about, um, really about a month, and which is not necessarily that long in the context of this, these kind of prosecutions. It's not considered, to, it's not a massive amount of time. However, if you are someone who has a job, and let's just say that you maybe didn't commit a crime, and you are in jail while you know investigators are trying to sort out well what happened here, um, and bear in mind that this is during um, the COVID nineteen crisis, it's going to seem like a long time. You you know they're saying you're facing years in prison and everything. And then all of a sudden it's like, oops, you can go free. Uh, all of a sudden, what was the, what was the reason he was given that suddenly the, they were dropping prosecutors were dropping the charges and letting him go. This was the, this was the thing that was interesting because, so there was a, uh, this would have been in, uh, in December, December 17th, uh, this is according to us court records, the U.S. federal prosecutor uh, assigned to this case filed a motion um, to dismiss the complaint. Quoting the, this, this motion directly, the reason for the dismissal is the government will not proceed with this case any further as against defendant based on information it has received about the defendant's lack of involvement in the underlying incident giving rise to the allegations in this complaint. This is uh, this is very unusual to, to have this kind of language in a complaint like this because prosecutors have no they have no obligation to do this. Like you can you can be held and charged and they you know find evidence that you didn't do this and they could just they can sort of send you on your way and say well that's just how it works and they kind of move on and they had no obligation to do this and they did it and this apparently was not something that his uh, attorney. Uh, attorney had asked for. But what I can say is, according to his attorney, what ultimately set him, let him to get, go free was a polygraph test. And here's what uh, Mr. Sharg said about this. I had a sense, a very strong sense that, that, that he was telling the truth. And, and uh, in, in that situation, I uh, agreed to let him be polygraphed. Usually, uh, usually I would not allow, you know, uh, or agree to a polygraph until I had an independent, a private polygraph test done by, by, by someone that would work, you know, that I would retain. That's like throwing someone to the lions when I, the way we did it. But again, uh, I, I had a, a, enough confidence in what my client was saying, what his wife was saying. And actually, feedback I was getting from the Canadian authorities that they believed that he was, uh, that, you know, his story, you know, uh, uh, checked out. Were you just slightly nervous, even though you, you had a good always, sense. Just, always. Yeah. I don't, I, 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 I don't do it that way. That's not the way I, I that's not the way I roll. I, 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 I don't, 
I, I, I don't submit my client to for a for a police, you know, uh, uh, polygraph until I give him a private one to make you know to to make you know to make sure that that uh, that he you know he either, that he tests well. But I didn't have that luxury here, and you know, and then even after we agreed to to uh, uh, allow him to be tested, it took another two weeks to, to you know to to set it up. And that was because of the, you know, pandemic. No, but as soon as, as, soon as he was tested, literally got the results, you know, uh, within hours. And uh, the government moved pretty fast to uh, dismiss the charges, you know, allow him to, you know, return to, uh, uh, you know, be, be returned to, uh, to Windsor. Has anyone else been arrested in this case? Not that we know of thus far, and there the case you know remains a, an active investigation, and I'm I am uh, myself am, am investigating who and what was actually behind you know this this load because you know you have a lot there's so many of these drug cases that happened and that we don't realize is that there are ones that we become aware of as journalists often through you know the agencies doing press releases and things like that. But there's a lot more of these that are often just not publicized. But this is this is a definitely a, you know, the fact that we can say by the account of uh, prosecutors that this guy did not, there was not evidence to, not just evidence not to have this guy charged, but evidence that he was not involved, that this this young guy, uh, he's in his late 20s, loses a, a uh, you know, a month of his life in a really, in a really scary situation. You know, it's, it's obvious, it's something that, that I think it does, it does matter, not just from the larger, from the larger sort of like, of course, uh, law enforcement wants to know what are the sort of the criminal enterprises behind this cross-border drug smuggling, but this was someone who was harmed because of that. So is Mr. Singh back driving a truck or has he given it up, you know, the profession because of his, because of what happened to him? Um, according to his lawyer, he is not driving a truck right now. I, I think it's safe to assume he's not going to be, you know, driving, you know, driving a truck for a while, if, if ever again, which is, which is unfortunate because it, you know, it really does seem like granted he was not, um, given what's called, you can actually have a factual finding of, of innocence uh, where a judge will sort of declare that, that you're like, which is very, very unusual to have happen in these cases. But we could say that basically as the evidence showed it, that this guy didn't have anything to, to do with this. And what's also notable is that he also wasn't, um, you know, charged with anything along the lines of, even if you don't know about uh, say directly of say drugs that might be in your trailer, you could you could potentially be charged if you were sort of negligent about uh, about how you kind of approached your load. You could theoretically get you potentially get charged. Are you aware of other cases where the driver has been charged and released? Well, it doesn't it doesn't happen that often. But actually, over the the summer that I reported on a, a case involving a truck driver accused of smuggling what was a record load of marijuana um from the from the canada to the u.s from the in the buffalo area border crossing and this driver was uh was arrested there was a lot of fanfare about it this is also a seal a, a sealed trailer he professed not to know anything about it he was ultimately released uh we don't really know why it happened there wasn't any indication of um 
you know, any sort of no, sort of indication from prosecutors that there was like any evidence that showed he wasn't involved. Um, so it remains something of a, of a mystery about why this happened, but it was sort of unusual, but it's unusual, but I think it's what I think what this case and, and this case from, you know, back in June uh, is a reminder of is that when you read about someone getting arrested, getting charged with a crime, it doesn't mean that they did it. And I think it's easy. It's easy to assume that, okay, maybe most of the time uh, when people are arrested, that they probably did something. And there may be some truth to that. But there are people who, you know, innocent people who get caught up in the criminal justice system. And you have to bear in mind that there are that not everyone who you see connected to a crime did it. That that is a should be something that we all uh, take to heart. You've been listening to Long Haul Crime Log from Freight Waves. You can find more episodes by searching for Long Haul Crime Log wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like us, why not subscribe and maybe even tell your friends? We're also on Twitter now. Our handle is Long Haul Crime. Any truckers who have a story to share, please shoot us a line at crime at freightwaves.com. Tune in next week for more stories from the dark side of freight.